looking up at that? Good morning. We want to welcome you again to our worship service today. And uh, as we've been going through this Advent season, last week we began with the simple story of the Magi coming to look for this child who was born to be a king. And that's kind of been the kickoff for our theme for this Advent season on the kingdom of God. And this morning we're going to be reading a second very familiar story from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 24. That's the story of Joseph and his birth and his involvement with Mary. Let's hear God's word. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins." All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, that the virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife, but he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And they gave him the name Jesus. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, may this hour be one where you are honored, and may you speak to us now through your Holy Spirit. Help us to understand what it means that we live in a not-so-far-away kingdom. We thank you now. In your name we pray. Amen. Have you ever heard of Flat Dave? Flat Dave. According to an article in the Chicago Tribune, Flat Dave has become something of a pop culture icon in the Chicago area. At age 24, Dave Davila took a job that required him to leave his close-knit family there in Illinois. But holiday gatherings like Christmas just weren't the same without Dave around. So his mother took a digital photo of him and had it blown up to life-size and mounted it on hard cardboard, five foot eight inches tall. And so now at Christmas, Dave's there, standing casually, hands in his pockets, in a blue button-down shirt, hanging out over khaki shorts, and they call him Flat Dave. And at first, Flat Dave just showed up and stood quietly at family gatherings. But word began to spread throughout the community, and Dave has become something of a celebrity. His mother takes Flat Dave in the car with her when she goes shopping. People stop them when they're doing their errands. People in the grocery store want their pictures taken with Flat Dave. Complete strangers come up and want to know about Flat Dave. His brother Dan said, I think Flat Dave is actually better looking than real Dave. (laughs) I think that was probably an older brother who said that. It's a little kooky, this Flat Dave, and a little sad, I guess, in some ways, because Flat Dave is a poor substitute for the real thing, a a two-dimensional caricature of a real person. There's no life, there's no interaction. Uh, He's there, but he's not really there. And it made me think how, in some ways, that's how people treat Jesus at Christmas. He's a flat Jesus, kind of a two-dimensional cutout that shows up at occasional gatherings, a a cute baby in a cradle, a a figure that adorns window displays, a decoration that stands off into the corner. 
not intrusive. Maybe he even gets a once a year prayer at Christmas dinner, but then he gets put away into the closet until Easter. Did you know they actually make cardboard stand-ups life-size of Jesus? I tried to buy one this week, but they couldn't ship it to me in time for this morning's sermon. I was going to have my stand-up flat Jesus standing right next to me this morning. Flat Jesus, kind of a poor substitute for the real thing. At Christmas, I noticed something so acutely. People haven't quite grasped who Jesus really is. Especially if you think about all the names given to Jesus that surround the story of his birth. All of these tremendous names, the Messiah, the Christ, Son of God, Son of Man, Prince of Peace, King of the Jews, Lord of Lords. And in today's passage, this wonderful word, Emmanuel. They'll call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. These are all names of power and majesty and dominion. They're names of biblical royalty and honor. They're all names announcing God's kingdom on earth, the kingdom of God. Well, that's our focus for this Christmas season, kingdom. Well, what is it really? We don't use that term very often. When we do, we think of thrones and castles. But in reality, everybody has a little kingdom. John Ortberg gives this simple definition of a kingdom. It's the range of your effective will. The range of your effective will. The place where you rule. That little sphere where what you say goes. Where you have absolute authority. It's the range of your effective will. And did you know that you were made to have a kingdom? That's right. Listen to what the Bible says way back in the creation story of Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. It says, Then God said, Let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness, so they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And so God created human beings in His own image. In the image of God, He created them, male and female, He created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth. Subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Human beings were created in the image of God and part of that image was that they were created to rule. That that is part of God's purpose in creation, to rule, to have dominion. And friends, that's kingdom language. And it's that desire to have some kind of a perfect kingdom that got all messed up by humanity's rebellion against God's dominion. We wanted to take His place. We wanted to be our own little mini-gods. And so now we want to rule everything. That's why we don't like to be told what to do. Have you ever heard the expression, well, you're not the boss of me? Have you ever used that expression? It's why two-year-olds learn to say no so easily. It's why kids draw a line in the back seat of the car and say, this is my side, and this is your side. And then they fight over the territory, and why dad, who thinks that the car is actually his kingdom, will turn around and say, do I have to pull this car over? And the kids just laugh because they know he'll never do it. Kingdom, where things go the way I want. And that's why when your territory is infringed on or violated or coerced. It's destructive to your personhood. 
If others invade your territory too much, you're crushed. Having a sense of proper dominion is crucial to the image of God in you. Our kingdoms on earth are all, they're all jumped up because all the billions of little kingdoms intersect and collide and then compete with each other. They form layer upon layer of larger kingdoms, families and nations, corporations, economies, cultural systems, all these networks of personal power and control, and the whole system of these intersecting and interlocking and interwoven kingdoms, well, that's what the Bible means when it talks about the kingdom of earth. And the collective kingdoms of earth stand in stark contrast to the kingdom of God, the range of God's effective will. That's why we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That things that happen here would meet with God's approval and God's delight. That the things would be just as God wants them to be. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Now that's not spatial. It's not an up and down thing. But that our kingdoms would become perfectly integrated with God's kingdom that's already here. God's kingdom is not so far away. It exists right here, right now. It's sort of like if you're into science fiction. It's like a, a parallel universe that, that intersects and overlaps with ours. They touch each other. God's kingdom is right here, right now. And you can live in it if you want to. Well, what does it look like in the kingdom of God? Well, that's what Jesus came to teach us. Last week we looked at how the kingdom of God was the central message of, of everything Jesus taught trying to show what God's kingdom would look like in contrast to the kingdoms of earth. Do you remember there's a story in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 18, when two of the disciples come to Jesus and they ask him this question. They say, who's greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They had an idea about a, a power structure in the kingdom of God because they know how the kingdoms on earth operate. And so they said, Jesus, tell us who's number one in the kingdom of God and how do we get there? Jesus answers by saying, whoever humbles himself like a little child is great in the kingdom of heaven. And that's a surprising answer, not because children are perfectly humble, but because in that day children really had no status at all. It was not like today's child where the children sort of are the center of the home. It was exactly the opposite. Children had little value. They were disposable. They were the lowest of the totem pole. Becoming like a child meant giving up the pursuit of that I have to have status. It meant giving that up. The kingdom of God is where people get on magazine covers, not because they're rich or powerful or beautiful, but because they, they humble themselves. They delight in serving others. They, they live in a world where no one lords over all. The kingdom of God is like a bunch of free and confident children. In Luke 14, Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a banquet party where the poor and the misfits are invited. The, the kingdom of God is a community, a loving, accepting community that's constantly on the lookout for someone who feels lonely, a community where, where everyone is prized, where the beauty of every person is recognized because they're seen as God sees them. And each one is made to feel like, like they are the guest of honor. That's the kingdom of God. Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, that the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. 
I mean, imagine a world where no one cuts down anybody else, where there's no gossip, where people place their hands, their lives in the hands of God, where they experience joy and no anxiety, where every encounter between two people leaves each person with greater joy every time. That's the kingdom of God. And where Jesus is endlessly celebrated, endlessly celebrated for his infinite self-giving love, that is the kingdom of God. And the gospel says it exists right now. And you can be a part of it and you can step right into it. You can live in it if you want to. It's a kingdom that begins in the Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, as the creeds say, one God who eternally exists as three persons, this perfect circle of fellowship and equality and humility and community and righteousness and and praise and joy. And that perfect circle is opened first to the angels and then to all who have died in Christ. And that's where they are right now, fully immersed in the kingdom of God. And that circle is open to us so that we can have a foretaste, not the full taste, but the foretaste of what the full kingdom will be. That's the kingdom of God. So how's it going on the kingdom of earth? What would you read in the newspaper today? New York Times has an article about AK-47s being for sale at the local grocery store in Iraq. This picture that you're about to see is a, one I took in Africa, in Malawi, a couple of months ago at a shanty town just outside the capital city of Lilongwe. A child is a real human being one of millions who live in abject poverty around the world. And you know what? I don't like to see pictures like that. Because soon that child could be one of the 30,000 children who die every day around the world of preventable diseases like malaria and dysentery. To know that there are millions of children, millions of children, just like mine and like yours and like ours, millions of children in the kingdom who are trapped in abject poverty. I don't want to hear statistics like that. makes me feel guilty. I don't like to hear the truth about the kingdom of this earth. Well, how's it going for women in the kingdom of earth? I think of the Dalit women in India. You know, people who say that all religions basically teach the same thing. Quite frankly, those people are idiots because they haven't really investigated what religions really teach. The basic teaching of Hinduism is that all people are not created equal. And it's designed that way by the gods. People are divided into very strict layers or castes, and there's no way to change your caste. There's no way to change your destiny. That's it. Each caste is assigned certain jobs, and there's no way to change what jobs you're given. Each caste even has its own stratification. And the lowest caste, the untouchables, the ones who are considered subhuman, they even have a bottom layer. And those are called the Bangi Dalits, and that's the group we're working with. That's the group our Christmas offering is going for. The only jobs for the Bangi Dalits, about 140 million people, the only job for the Bangi Dalits is to handle dead human bodies and for the women to clean latrines with their hands. That's it. That's all they're allowed to do. And then at night they beg at the homes where they've cleaned latrines that day. And that's it, every day. Every day for the last 2,000 years or so for Bangi women. Apart from Christ, they really have no hope at all. And this year our Christmas offering is going to the explosively growing rural Presbyterian Church of India. 
to help build a woman's training center where women will learn basic job skills for a new life. Doesn't that sound boring, a, a, a women's training center? This doesn't have a lot of juice to it, I don't think. But listen, if you're a woman who cleans out latrines every day with your hands, and that's the only job your mother had, and that's the only job your grandmother had, and you had the opportunity to do something so to break that cycle so that your daughters and your granddaughters will not have to do that kind of demeaning labor, that's not a boring thing. That is a slice of heaven. That training center is the kingdom of God making an impact in a real and decisive way. Folks, there is not a lot of good news in the kingdom of earth for the old and for the weak and for the unattractive and for the very young, the uneducated and those without power. If you've ever been sad when you think about some of the things I've just talked about, the condition of this world, or if you've ever had your blood boil when you think about the injustices that go on around our globe, then you know something of what it means to long for the kingdom of God. And God had a plan. It was Emmanuel. I am going to bring my kingdom to earth in person. I will personify the very kingdom of God so that people can see it and people can taste it, so people will want it, so people will know that it could be possible. I will go there in person. I'm going to wrap myself in human flesh and be born so that I can be one of them and they'll know what the kingdom of God is really like. There's a story in Mark chapter 12 that I don't have time to read this morning where a teacher of the religious law comes and people have been trying to trick Jesus and he asks him a question. He says, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Hoping to trip Jesus up some way. And Jesus says, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. And a second is like it. He adds a second piece. He says, to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the man agrees with Jesus. And so Jesus commends him and says, you know, you're doing pretty well. And then he adds these words. He says, and you are not far from the kingdom of God. Now, what's that mean? It means that the kingdom of God, it's not just an intellectual understanding of God and God's will. It's not just knowing the theology of the kingdom. You have to make it personal. You have to have a personal connection with the kingdom of God. They say the longest distance in the world is the 12 inches between your head and your heart. It has to become personal for you. I mean, you know the story. We all know the Christmas story, but do you know... The Emmanuel, do you know the king? Is it here, not just here? I think Jesus is almost playing with the guy. He says, you are close to the kingdom of of God. You're not far away. I think he was almost playing with him by saying, literally, I'm standing right next to you. You're this close. Man, you are so close to the kingdom. You could actually rub elbows with a very personified expression of the kingdom of God. It is right here, but you're not seeing it yet. You're close. You could reach out and touch it, but you don't know it quite yet. How about you? Have you made that connection? Is that your focus this Christmas? To know Jesus, this Emmanuel, God with us, but we can make it personal since God with me. 
that I'm part of the kingdom of God. I hope you've made that step and made that commitment to live Christ's way with Christ at the center of your life. And if not, as we come to the communion table, this is a wonderful opportunity to make this Christmas a time when Christ is born in your heart and not just in a stable a long time ago. The not-so-far-away kingdom, it is right here. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're so grateful that we can celebrate all the good things that you've done, and we are protected in so many ways from the evils that so many people are experiencing around the world, hunger, disease, injustice. We pray, Lord, that we would get upset about the things that upset you. Because we would long even more passionately for your kingdom to come and that we would do what we can, when we can, where we can. We can't fix it all, Lord, but churches uniting around the world, we can make a tremendous difference. We thank you, Lord, that your not-so-far-away kingdom is right here this morning. Help us to make it personal, to make that big leap from our heads to our hearts. We thank you now in Christ's name. Amen.